Hey y'all, welcome back to Primetime Crime. It's Kylie. We have a little bit to talk about before we get into the episode today. I don't even know what to say. I feel like I'm telling a fake news story. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like I'm being punked. Like, it's just one giant prank. And I don't think it is, but it's wild. So, if you listen to my episode for Monday, I talked about the missing boy who was found after eight years. His name is Rudy Farias. And that is a story that I have followed pretty much since he went missing. I remember when he went missing. I remember hearing about it. I remember seeing the missing, missing posters flyer, missing poster. I can't even speak. I'm so worked up. Missing posters flyer. And I just remember like every so often I would like check in like with like, on a like family Facebook page, like his mom would post a lot. So I would check in on her page, but it had been a while since I'd really heard anything about it. So when last week they said that he was found, of course, like immediately, like you're relieved. Now I will say when he was found, there was a, I believe it was like the mom's sister who was posting on Facebook. And she's the one who I said in the last episode was posting a lot. And like I said, no matter where you are in a situation, whatever you do, you're going to get criticized and scrutinized, whether you're not saying anything or whether you're saying too much, where in this case, they were saying a lot, like they were coming forward with lots of information and it seemed to me like it was a situation where he could be in danger because if he had been taken and was being held against his will and then somehow escaped and now it's all over social media that he's in the hospital and there's pictures and there's a picture of his ID bracelet in the hospital. Like that is not stuff that you want to share if you think that this person has been taken and the people that are looking for them are still out there. Cause they said there was two men that were looking for him and this is all coming from the family. So it's been kind of quiet, but people have been starting to speculate and the neighbors, like several different neighbors, not all related people that, know the mom are saying he's not missing he lives in the house we see him he goes by the name Dolph so allegedly he's been not missing he's been living in this house and he's allowed to kind of go like hang out with neighbors and stuff but he goes by the name Dolph and that's really it like there's not really a whole much a whole lot more to say other than that. And then he'll go like to and from work with his mom. So the mom allegedly is well, obviously on social media and she looks one way, like she looks like herself, but all of her social media profiles, and there's a lot, there's not just one profile for her. There's multiple under her name. And she is using, I don't even want to say it's a filter because it is not a filter. It is a completely different person. And I don't even know, like, I don't even know how, 
one would do this. It's not even like she's taking a picture of someone else. It's like I said to my friend, it's like me taking a picture of myself and like cropping out like my nose and then taking someone else's face and putting my nose on their face and then taking that picture of my nose on someone's face and putting it on someone else's body entirely. That is what her social media looks like. And it's odd that there's all these like different profiles for her and they all have like these odd pictures on them. Like, I don't know where she's getting these pictures. I don't know who this person is that whose picture she's using. I don't know if it's like an AI kind of situation where she's like created this on some like weird platform app. I don't know what's going on. But then there's also all these family members on social media that she'll tag and post. And she's essentially what people are saying, allegedly, is that she is she is all of these people. So she is aunt, uncle, mama, sister, brother, friend, father, hairdresser. And she is having social media conversations, tagging people, writing comments as all of these people, interacting as all of these different people, but it's really her. I am not making this up. I promise this is not a prank. This is not a joke. This is what is happening, allegedly. So, like I said, neighbors are coming forward and saying, like, this, something is not right. Like, something doesn't sit right. Something is up. And obviously, the news gets a hold of it. And once the news gets a hold of it, it becomes a beast of its own. So, on Wednesday, they go to, I don't, I don't even know, like, what the premise of this was, but he was found a week he was found a week ago on Thursday. So Wednesday, they, for whatever reason, Rudy, his mom, and maybe like an investigator go to this hotel. Okay. A Holiday Inn in Humble, which is nearish to Houston. I don't know why they went there. I don't know why they're not like at a police station. I don't know any of this. Like all of this just doesn't smell right to me, but I'm telling the story like from what I know. And then we have a community activist in Houston called Quanell X and he shows up. He shows up everywhere. He just, he just, he's just always there. Something's going down. Quanell, Quanell X is going to be there. So Quanell gets a chance to talk to Rudy and I guess like the investigator is also present during this, but the mom is not present. They had like taken her elsewhere, separated her. And Rudy basically tells Quanell that he ran away before he allegedly went missing. He had run away and he came back two days later. And his mom told him that he was in so much trouble with the cops that in order to not get in trouble and go to prison, he needed to do everything that she told him. And essentially she kept him in the house. She started having him go by the name Dolph and he was not really allowed to do a whole lot, but he would like go to and from work with his mom. I guess she worked like night shift for secure, like security. I don't know security, what like security company, 
Like, was she like security detail? Because that's alarming. I don't even know. But neighbors said that they would like interact with him from time to time and that, you know, he really wouldn't say much, but his name was Dolph and he lived there with his mom. Like that was it. Like he's not a missing person. So he also said that she would drug him like psychedelic, psychedelic kind of drugs, like mushrooms and stuff like that. I don't know much about any of that, but she would like keep him basically doped up. And also Rudy said, make him play the quote unquote father role and lay in bed with her and other stuff that is not really something I want to talk about, but you can kind of get where I'm going with it. Trigger warning, sexual assault. Um, I have no freaking words. And I do just want to say that it really enrages me like to my core that this woman has portrayed herself and inserted herself into the missing persons community and the mom of a missing person for the last eight years. The resources that have been used to try to find her son who was never even missing. I can't even begin to tell you how that makes me feel and how that makes me feel imagining the pain and hurt that other missing family members of those who are actually missing people must feel like I, it has to feel like a giant stab in the heart. Like I can't even imagine, first of all, having a missing child, having a missing child, that is gotta be the hardest thing ever. And then for a story like this to come out and you're elated and you're happy for them and you're so glad that their family member is safe, but all along you knew where they were and you were keeping them hidden and claiming that they were missing, like nothing enrages me more than that. And for like for them, like for the parents of actual missing people who actually would love to know where their family member is. I could actually rage. Like I'm so astonished that like, I know we live in a really messed up society, but I'm astonished that someone could actually do this and get away with it for eight years. Like it's more, likely and feasible to me to think that he was kidnapped and kept and held hostage for eight years versus his own mother being the one that was holding him hostage. That is insanity. And I do want to touch on the fact that when all of this was over and they were like done talking for the day, they let Rudy go with his mother. Like what is happening? And HPD released a statement and it said detectives with our missing persons unit interviewed Mr. Rudy Ferris, 25, and his mother today. While there are reports of some of the content of the interviews being released, our detectives are not in a position at this time to discuss specifics of the interviews or if the content being released is entirely factual. 
media partners. Detectives will be available to discuss details of this case sometime tomorrow, which is July 6th, at HPD headquarters. No other information is being released before the news conference. We will provide the time of the newser here once it is determined. Whoa. All right. So it is July 6th, and we had a press conference today. Houston Police Department, Harris County, whatever, had a press conference about Rudy Farias. And we're going to break it down. It was 20, about 22 minutes long. Um, I'm going to just go over some of the things that were discussed. And yeah, we just, we're just going to make this, this is going to be like its own little mini episode on top of the already episode that we have today, because I can't not talk about this. Like it's happening literally in my neck of the woods and there's so much to discuss here. All right. So the police press conference. Now I do want to start off by saying this is like, obviously it's gone viral. Like it's everywhere you look. People magazine is posting about it. It is literally everywhere. So HPG gets up and they're doing their press conference. And they're also going to talk about the lack of dash cam funding for patrol officers, dash or dashboard cameras. They're going to talk about this also in the press conference, which it's getting a lot of scrutiny that they use this platform to discuss that. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit as well. We're going to talk about the dash cam of it all. And we're going to talk about the whole reason for the press conference, which is, of course, Rudy. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm overwhelmed. So there's a lieutenant. He is from the missing persons homicide unit. And he said investigators have followed up tips, leads, and collected evidence. And they have come. Sorry, that was my Alexa. Uh, <laughs> so they have come to the conclusion that Rudy was not missing during the eight-year period that he was supposedly missing. And they said that Rudy had also had previous um, Houston Police Department interactions. He had made contact with patrol officers. I don't know under what circumstances, but whatever these circumstances were, he gave a fake name and fake date of birth. And Janie, his mom, also gave fake names while interacting with different patrol officers. And they have discovered that Rudy had returned home on March 8th of 2015. And the mom from there continued to deceive police saying that he was still missing and claimed that the man that was in her house was her nephew and even had a fake name. At this time, the DA has declined any charges for falsifying those reports. And they did say that falsifying a missing person's report is a class C misdemeanor, which basically is equivalent to a traffic ticket, which I have a problem with that. Um, they did say that APS has been contacted and they've connected Rudy with victim services. And they said that based on the interview that the investigators did with Rudy, he made no accusations of sexual assault and of course, they're taking new tips and all of the things. And let's see. They said that, like I said, there's nothing about sexual assault during the interview. Like, there's a lot of focus on the sexual assault aspect because that's what he told Quanell allegedly. And 
they said that they're trained to listen for probable cause and there was no statements made thus far. The chief also said the investigation is still ongoing and they're not able to say right now if he is a victim or not, but he is a potential victim and they're respecting everyone involved and completing a thorough investigation. If charges are appropriate, it will happen. They follow their evidence and they will do their interviews and they can't speak on mental illness as far as the mom goes at this time. And there's no evidence of anything in regards to it being a kidnapping, even though she was holding him hostage for eight years. I don't know. And they said when he initially went missing, there wasn't any like search warrants or anything because being a missing person isn't a crime. Um, but they didn't do any like searches or anything like that. However, they did say over the years that they had been to the house before. So I don't really know what is going on. Then somebody asked about the dash cam and they talked about how the dec there's decreased funding and they need to install dash cams on 100% of the patrol vehicles. But at this point, everybody, 100% of the officers wear body cams, but not all of the patrol vehicles have dash cams. And that is an ongoing issue in the Houston Police Department because of decreased funding. Wow. That is all part of this press conference about Rudy, who is missing. Like, they're getting a lot of heat for even bringing this up in the press conference. Like, this could have been a Facebook post, but it's okay. Fine. It's fine. Um, they again, talked about the charges potentially being filed at some point for falsifying the missing persons report. And they, of course, have to go through every channel. And when they receive a tip, they have to review it. And when Rudy was found last week, there wasn't a sense of urgency to investigate it because he was found. They obviously initially when he was quote unquote, found, they said that he didn't need medical treatment and they had said that they wanted to transport him to a hospital, but they refused transport. And that was that. And said so they can't force him to to go to a hospital. They can't force him to give a statement. Although it was said that later his mom did take him to the hospital. I don't know the validity of that. The pictures that you've seen shared on social media of him in a hospital bed are allegedly from 2012. This is coming from actual real life relatives of Rudy saying these pictures are from 2012. They went on to say that Rudy is safe and he is with his mother by his by his choice he is a 25-year-old man, and he can make his own decisions. That is what HPD said. Um, I'm going to talk more in a minute about a press conference that the family gave, the real family, like the like the real family, not the fake profile family that Janie's made up on Facebook. And, of course, they said that they did expend some resources over the eight years looking for Rudy. It wasn't a constant like evolving case there had like some times when there wasn't a whole lot going on but they did expend some resources and do you guys remember when the whole runaway bride thing happened and that gal went like MIA and she was like supposed to be married getting married and she was known as like the runaway bride and they had this massive search for her and it was a big deal because she like faked her own disappearance that was like a big deal 
and it turned into like this worldwide national thing. And she faced a crap ton of charges for misleading police and falsifying information and expending all of these resources. Like she had, I don't remember exactly what happened with her, but there was a lot going on there. And I feel like this is so similar and, and nobody seems like to really feel like there's a sense of urgency behind it. I don't know. I just, I just don't know. So um, they were at the house last night because there was a reported burglary and it's now part of the ongoing investigation. And they also talked about the giving of the false names during a filing of a police report. I don't know what had happened where the cops were involved in some way, shape or form, but they had given a falsified, they had given falsified names and date of birth and all of that. And um, I don't really know, no charges yet. So that is where it stands. It is an ongoing investigation. I hope and pray that their ongoing investigation is getting everything in line for charges, but there's no really way to say that because it's an ongoing investigation. Now, I do want to play something. They did a interview with some of Rudy's family members. These are all people who know Janie, the mom, and they are estranged family members, but they know now what has been going on. And I do want to play one of the statements from one of the people that spoke. They kind of go back and forth in English and Spanish because they're translating to English and Spanish. But I want to play what this one family member said. They did say that, I mean, they're really calling out HPD in this press conference interview that the family did. And they're saying that HPD does not know what they're talking about. Rudy is not with his mother. He is with a trusted family member or family friend. And they don't know where they're getting their information and like just basically dragging HPD. Um, so let me go ahead. I want to play a clip from that interview with one of the things that one of the family members said. So I'm going to play that now. This in English. Chief of police could have brought out Quanell X statement because my nephew Rudy Farias, who so called quote unquote was missing since uh, eight years ago, 2015, and those fake hospital pictures were fake from 2012. Uh, Quanell statement should have been brought up because Quanell is here to help. It's very rare that he would come out and speak up on behalf. And my nephew, Rudy, would have never talked if Janie was around, okay? Janie is a hypothetical liar, uh, manipulative. She knows a lot of people in the HPD. So I'm going to have to say, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to have to say she knows a lot of people in HPD. And that's why her freaking ass has been covered up. And that is that. I want to play that because she is speaking what she believes to be her truth and props to her. That was from an interview on KHOU Channel 11, which is a local news station. I am going to be so closely following this and giving updates. Like if we have to do an emergency episode with an update, I'm going to do an emergency episode with an update. I did not anticipate this right now in true crime being almost 25 minutes long. Um, wow, it's a lot. 
I had to speak on it though, because it is literally blowing up and it's just insane. It doesn't even seem like it's a real story and it's really happening, but it is. And I hope that Rudy is safe. I hope that he is being cared for. And I hope that justice will prevail and the right people will go away for a very, very long time for this. And I pray for all of the parents of actual missing children and hope that they are found and that this whole thing really makes people understand how important like true, true, true missing people are putting your time and energy and resources into people who are actually missing, who are actually in distress. We have Kay Alana who is still missing. She is still out there and she is facing jail time because she was in a mental health crisis. And we have this scenario playing out right in front of our eyes and basically what they're talking about is what she did is just a tr like equivalent to like a traffic ticket. Like you ran a stop sign. This is your punishment. I have never in my life been at a loss for words. I don't even know what to say. This is wild. It's wild. It's a wild story. I am going to stay on top of it. And we are going to go from this crazy ass whole scenario case right into another. And we're going to talk about Lori Vallow and her upbringing and all of her million and a half marriages. And I really don't know what else to say, but I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And yeah, it's a lot to unpack, but we're going to dive right into part five, Lori Vallow. I do want to go ahead and just say I did a lot, a lot, a lot of research on this episode. It's going to be a two-part episode, but I did a lot of research on this episode. And my research was watching every documentary known to man, listening to every podcast known to man to come up with this whole episode of who Lori was. So I do want to shout out a couple of podcast episodes, the Netflix documentary also very much and hidden true crime podcast. They have a whole Lori Vallow series and they've done interviews with her family members and her ex-sister-in-law, Heather Daybell. Like there's a lot on that podcast and they've been very integral in the whole like story. So I want to shout them out and also crime weekly as well. A lot of the information that I'm sharing, I got from <clears throat> their episodes as well. So I kind of pulled bits and pieces from all of it and just kind of put it together. So I just wanted to make sure that I made that clear. I always want to give credit where credit is due because everybody that does episodes like this puts a lot of hard work and research time into it. And like I said, it's public knowledge. It's out there, but I wanted to at least shout out those couple of podcasts that I listened to on the reg because they have been a really good source for all of the information and all things 
deeper into the whole Lori Vallow situation. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right, guys, part five, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell. Today, we're going to talk about Lori Cox. That was her maiden name. Lori Ryan, Lori Vallow, Lori Daybell, whatever we're going to call her. We're going to talk all about her, her upbringing, her childhood, all of her five marriages. We're going to talk about all of it. And I'll be honest, when all of this first broke, I thought Chad was the ringleader. And I thought that Chad was able to manipulate Lori into doing all these horrible things and believing all these horrible things. But the more I looked into it and investigated and really looked into the who Lori Vallow was as a person, like in her core, I realized that it wasn't what I thought. And we're going to talk about Chad as well. But today's episode is all about Lori. And we're going to really deep dive into all of it. And it's all at some point going to make sense. Not that we could ever make sense of the tragedy that happened, but it's all at some point going to click and it's going to be like, oh, well, I can see how we got here. So this episode is all about that. How do we get where we're at now? So we're going to start at the beginning. So Lori was born on June 26th of 1973 in California. She was born Lori Noreen Cox. She was the fifth of six siblings. She had an older sister, Stacy, two older brothers, Alex and Adam, an older sister, Laura, who had passed away, and her younger sister, who was Summer. She was the daughter of Barry and Janice Cox, and they were active Mormons. Barry was a successful underwriter. He had married Janice when Janice was 18. Now, they weren't your typical Mormon couple. They were very flamboyant and in-your-face and upfront about their beliefs and believes taxation was a theft and they often would not pay their taxes. Even so much to say as Barry wrote a book about it later on, and the book was about dismantling the IRS and how America could dismantle the IRS. And Janice very much stood out and she was very concerned with her appearance. She wasn't like your typical Mormon mom. She had bleach blonde hair, bright lipstick, tight animal print clothing, very obsessed with the way she looked. And she always wanted to look good and definitely, as we know, passed this on to her daughter, Lori. Now, you'll remember, even after Lori was arrested, when she would appear in court, her hair would always be done. She would always have that bright lipstick on. So very much obsessed with her appearance. So you can tell that Lori got that from Janice because Janice was obsessed. And we'll talk about that in a little while. Now, Barry and Janice would go to the Mormon temple. However, they weren't really devout LDS and they were very preoccupied with themselves, even more with themselves than they were with their children. The children would often just kind of do their own thing. And Barry and Janice would a lot of times go to Hawaii and leave the kids behind and put the oldest child in charge, which was Alex. And we know that Alex is not the greatest human in the world. So they would leave him money for groceries and have him watch his siblings. And he would often just spend the money on himself, have parties, and Lori would be left to care for the other kids. And then, of course, sometimes the uh, parents would take the kids with them. And that's where Lori formed a love for Hawaii. 
And that became like her safe space. It actually became a safe space for a lot of the children because that's where they felt at their best. Now, the family was very wealthy growing up. They grew up spoiled and learned that they were entitled to everything that they wanted. And according to Lori's cousin, Megan, Barry believed in something called the lower 95, which meant 95% of the population were stupid, unattractive, and less than. But he and his family were the 5% who are smart, attractive, and successful. And Barry always felt that he was above the law and can get away with stuff, which we know that Lori is that exact human. And she had those exact same beliefs. And that's what carried her into her adulthood and let her think that she could get away with things. And we'll get into more of that later. We're not just talking about the stuff with Charles and JJ and Tylee. We're talking about other stuff that happened prior to that. So they were definitely the same person. Barry and Janice would also often bring Lori with them to the racetrack because they were always betting on horses and said that Lori was a good luck charm to them. And Lori had a very sparkling personality. She was easy to like. She was very smart and was always referred to when she was younger as a good girl and she was sweet and quiet. Now, when Lori was in the sixth grade, she had still some of her baby fat on her, which is normal when you're a sixth grader. But Janice didn't like this. So she put Lori on a strict diet and workout regimen in a sixth grade. She wanted Lori to be a cheerleader and said, you're never going to be a cheerleader if you look the way you look. So you're going to go on this diet and even signed Lori up for softball to get some extra cardio in and Janice was the coach of that team so we know what is going on in that household is not good it's absolutely toxic and you can see bad things are coming in the future for this child because she's being put on a diet in sixth grade and made to do all these things just to quote unquote look good so there was a childhood friend of Lori's that had come forward and said that Lori had confessed to her that her older brother Alex was flirting with her and trying to have sex with her. And this friend said that Alex was odd and kind of creepy and would stare at them and her friends. And she definitely thought that Alex was fixated on Lori. But after that happened, Lori never brought it up again and the friend never asked about it again. That's an odd relationship dynamic, and we're, we will get there. In 1988, Lori was now in high school and had been molded into a replica of her mother, Janice. She was confident and extroverted, and everyone loved her. She was very self-absorbed and loved hearing about how great she was, how pretty she was, how thin she was. And at that point, she ended up becoming a cheerleader. She was very popular, had lots of friends, bleached blonde hair, lipstick, skin-tight clothes, literally a mini Janice Cox. According to a friend, Lori's family was very friendly and welcoming to this friend, and they came from different backgrounds. This friend of hers was uh, from the other side of the tracks, and Lori's family was very wealthy, but they were always very welcoming to her. And it, People that knew Lori back in her high school days said that they thought Lori was a devout Mormon. She was always going to these Bible classes, Bible studies beforehand, before school, and they thought that she was very into her religion. 
And at that point, she talked about attending BYU for college and wanted to serve as a missionary, just like her dad did. But all of that changed when she met her first boyfriend, Nelson, during her senior year. And Nelson, as well as Lori, was from a very well-off family. However, he was not Mormon. And they had a very toxic, volatile relationship. They're seniors in high school, and they would often yell at each other in the halls. And Lori would never stand up for herself and just kind of took it. So she graduated in 1991 and left home and moved in with Nelson, and they ended up eloping in Las Vegas. There was no family present for her wedding, and they divorced a year later. So very much a toxic relationship. Lori had said that Nelson was abusive, allegedly abusive. And at one point in time, right after that, Lori decided she was going to move to Austin where her brother Adam was working as a DJ. Now, I do want to point this out. Adam, I feel like, is probably, Adam and Summer are probably the two most normal people in the family. And I say this knowing that they had this terrible, crazy upbringing. But Adam was a radio DJ, still is a radio DJ. But he worked for a radio station, I think, in Clearwater, Florida, back in the day. And they had this competition where you could try to drink as much water as possible and not pee and you won a Wii system which is a gaming system it's not even like a thing anymore I don't think I'm sure it is but you don't ever hear about it but there was a time when it was really really popular so they had this competition you drink as much water as you can without peeing and if you the person that could hold their pee the longest won a Wii well somebody died so it was a big thing because they died from water toxicity and the radio station got sued. Adam Adam was the DJ, so he got fired. It was a whole thing. So I didn't know about that, but I found that out in my research, and I was just like, wow, this Cox family is wild as hell. So anyways, that's besides the point. Lori went to Austin, where Adam was living, and while she was there, she enrolled in beauty school and met her future sister-in-law, who said that Lori was one of those people that loved to look at herself, and she always had drama. She was always looking in the mirror, and she was always had drama in her life. And it was in Austin that she met William Lagoa, and they had a very off-again and on-again relationship and lived off and on together for four years before they eventually got married. He was also not of the LDS faith, and she very much tried to get him to convert to Mormonism, and he didn't want to. She continually accused him of abuse, but all the times that she would press charges against him, she never ended up showing up in court. And eventually they ended up getting married because that's what you do when you're in a toxic relationship. So she was 22 when she married him. And at the time that they got married, she was already pregnant and gave birth to Colby in April of 1996, who is her oldest son. Now, later that year in 1996, she filed a criminal complaint against William and William's father and said that he had mentally and physically abused her during her pregnancy with Colby and threatened to snap her neck if she ever told anybody or called the cops again. This was an ongoing thing with them where they would back and forth call the cops on each other. It was just a mess. So Lori claims that she worked and did everything to try and keep her family afloat, and William did nothing to help them out. She was working. She was taking care of Colby. She was paying all the bills. She was doing everything, and William was just a freeloader, allegedly, according to Lori. Now, at this point, 
William had moved to a different part of Texas and was living with his parents, allegedly, and said that he he wanted to become a good Christian man and change his ways and convert to the LDS faith. So giving Lori false hope that he was going to change. So he begged Lori to come where he was, bring Colby, uproot her life that she had kind of semi-established while they were separated and come be with him and live with him and his parents until they could get a place of their own again. So she did. She completely uprooted her life and went. And when she got there, she realized that it was all a lie. And William had been living with another woman and basically defrauded Lori into leaving her job and moving to this other part of Texas. So it was a whole thing. It was very back and forth. Of course, when she got there, she realized what was going on, but was easily swayed to stay. And William said they were going to try to work it out. So they did try to work it out. But eventually, Lori and Colby snuck out and left to her parents' house that they had lived now in San Antonio. They moved from California to San Antonio, Texas. And at that point, William realized that she had fled and he begged her to reconsider and she ended up going back to him. So this was a very back and forth toxic situation. And now there's a child involved. Colby's involved. So this is a sad situation. But eventually she talked William into letting her go to her parents' house for Thanksgiving. And once she got there, she refused to go back because William was trying to take Colby away saying, we'll be divorced, but I'm going to have custody of Colby. And William's dad was very much on William's side and willing to help William to take Colby away from Lori. So Lori and Colby eventually ended up getting away. She filed for divorce And at that point, she was taking random hairdressing jobs, but they would bounce around a lot. They moved around a lot. Everyone described Lori as a good mom and very attentive and would do anything for her son. And I do think that there was probably a time that Lori was a good mom, but she had all this other stuff that was going on. And she was in these situations with these men who were toxic and not good people and trying to make it work. And it just wasn't working for her. So now we're in 1998 and we're going to kind of veer off a little bit because there's another aspect of this case and story and Lori's upbringing that we have to talk about. So in 1998, they, the family took Lori and Colby and other members of the family to Hawaii. So they went to Hawaii. But at that point, Alex stayed back because he had to stay home and care for his sister, Stacy, who was really, really sick. She wasn't doing well. Now, here's where we're going to veer off a little bit because Stacy is the mom of Melanie, who I call Melanie's, which I really got from Pretty Lies and Alibi's Gigi because that's who what she calls her because there's two Melanie's in this case and it's very confusing. So Melanie is the daughter of Stacy. Now, Stacy had diabetes and was a very, very brittle diabetic, did not take care of herself, didn't watch what she ate, didn't give herself her insulin. And in 1995, her and her husband were in a bitter custody battle over Melanie. So you're going to kind of see how Melanie morphed into the person that she became. So Stacy had gastroparesis. And was hospitalized in 1994 and had gotten down to 76 pounds. 
And her ex-husband had said that she was worried about her mental health and had even stated that her family was a psychological hornet's nest and that her mom was obsessed with weight and appearance, meaning Janice. And Stacy had developed OCD behaviors, even to the point where Melanie wasn't allowed to go to school because of the germs, so she was very isolated. Stacy barely left the house and always said that she needed to go to Hawaii to get better, and that was the place that she felt the safest. But it was a whole thing. Like, there was a vicious custody battle. She was sick. Melanie was in the midst of it. And when Melanie was six years old, she was having all of these issues and kept saying that she was a boy and she talked like a three-year-old. And it was just like this odd, like, persona that Melanie had taken on and she wanted to be called AJ or she wanted to be called Alex. It was so weird. And at that point, Stacy was sick. So Melanie was like back and forth living with the Cox family and there's no telling what went on there, honestly, because as evidence shows, as all of this craziness shows, it is a tangled web. So there was a custody battle with Stacy and her ex-husband Steve over Melanie. It went back and forth. And Barry and Janice obviously were on Stacy's side. It was a whole mess. So when they were all in Hawaii in May of 1998, Stacy got really, really sick. And Alex is the one that found her unconscious. And she later fell into a coma and she died on May 21st of 1998. She was only 31 years old. It was ruled natural causes. And everyone just thought she was really sick. She had diabetes. She also had gastroparesis. She had a lot of issues, not healthy at all. So they just said she died of natural causes, and that was that. So I will say that the way that it comes across, Janice was obviously obsessed with body image and weight and eating and all of that to the point where obviously Stacy probably had an eating disorder. It sounds like she had an eating disorder. She was really terrified of food, like threw all the food away. Like she was dealing with a lot. And it sounds like it all stemmed from the way that she was raised. So she had diabetes and it just like spiraled out of control. And then she wasn't eating and just a really, really sad all around situation. So Stacy passed away. And Shortly after that, Barry Cox was sentenced to jail for a year and a day for not paying his taxes and also ordered to pay $250,000 of restitution to the IRS. Again, he thinks he's above the law, and the law eventually catches up with you, Barry. So in typical Barry Cox form, he served his time one year and one day in jail, and then after he was released... He decided he wasn't going to pay back his taxes, and he even went as far as to sue the United States, IRS, and DOJ for personal injury damage. And as all of this is going on, the interest is adding up that he owes, and they kept dismissing his claims, and he kept filing appeals, basically just keeping it in the court system. Even though nobody was ruling in his favor, he was still filing these appeals just to keep things going so he didn't have to really do anything. So as all of this is going on, Lori met her third husband, Joe Ryan, when he came into the salon that she was working out to get his hair cut. 
And for Joe, it was love at first sight. Of course, we know Lori was a very attractive, pretty woman. And Joe was very, very taken aback by her. And they started dating. So in 2001, Lori and her son Colby moved to Driftwood, Texas, which is outside of Austin. And they moved in with Joe. And they got married in Hawaii with no family present, which is odd considering Hawaii is like the place that they all love and are obsessed with. Why would family not be present? I have questions about that. And they started their life together. Joe built a house for them and designed it specifically for them, even to the point where he had built a hair salon into the house for Lori so she could work out of her home. And he very much wanted Lori to be happy. That was his number one thing in life. So Joe's sister was named Annie Cushing and she met Lori after the wedding and they became very, very close. Even after Joe and Lori separated, which we'll get to in a minute, they were still close. She was very grateful that her brother had found Lori and said Joe was the happiest she had seen him in a long time. And they both had very larger than life personalities. They were both very extroverted, very social. So Lori became pregnant and gave birth to Tylee in 2002. And Colby was really happy to have a little sister and Lori happy to have a daughter. And Joe loved his little girl, loved, loved, loved Tylee. And at this point, Joe had kind of drifted away a little bit from being as close to Colby as he was initially. Now there is... There is talk that Joe had legally adopted Colby, but we aren't really sure the accuracy of this information, although we do know him as Colby Ryan. There isn't official word if he officially adopted him or not. So very interesting things there. But for whatever reason, their relationship changed when Tylee came along and Joe started to take things out on Colby and could be rough with him. And Colby even said like he went out of his way to make it a point when he would spank him and would almost get like a kick out of like punishing him. And Joe had a explosive temper and Colby just basically tried to stay out of his way and make himself small just so he could avoid any conflict. And there's been other instances that Annie, Joe's sister, had witnessed as far as Joe's temper goes, one time he and Lori were in a fight and he took a baseball bat into the hair studio during a flight fight with Lori. And it was just like odd things were starting to happen. And Annie was starting to see like these cracks in Lori and Joe's relationship. And even witness, this is wild to me. You're going to be shocked. I had no idea that this was a thing. Even witnessed Lori taking Tylee, baby Tylee, who wasn't even one years old yet, into the hair salon and giving her bleached blonde hair as a baby. Annie said she could see Tylee's roots were dark, but she had like these blonde highlights, which is just so crazy to me that you're dyeing your baby's hair. Wild. And Annie had like brought up to Lori about Joe's temper and she really seemed not very concerned about it, especially most of his anger being uh, being directed towards Colby. She really didn't seem concerned about it. And he had many outbursts throughout the time that Annie was present. And eventually Joe and Lori started becoming distant from each other and Lori started turning back to her faith in the LDS church. And she would bring Colby entirely to church several nights a week. 
And there was a room in the church, I guess, or in the temple that had all these mirrors in it. And she would go there by herself at night and put on spiritual music and just like dance around looking at herself in all these mirrors dancing. And she said that she would use this as a way to talk to God. And if you remember in the police interview that they did with Tylee after Charles was murdered, they had just moved into that house and Tylee said that there's a room that's set up with mirrors where her mom likes to dance. So this was some shit that she kept doing all the way up until present day. And there was also some things that she would say that were just kind of odd that she believed that Tylee was her sister, Stacy, who had passed away, that Tylee was her reincarnated. And in typical Lori fashion, in 2003, she got advice from God and God told her, you need to go on the Wheel of Fortune. So Lori Vallow went on the, the Wheel of Fortune. And I'm going to play a clip from that because it's really wild. How you doing, Lori? Uh, Lori Ryan right? from Austin, Texas. A right. hairstylist in Austin, hey? That's right. The best. How's the hair in Austin? It's good. Good. Austin's well, a happening place. Probably thanks to you. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Talk about your family a little bit. <laughs> I have a wonderful husband, Joseph, at home, who is watching our two beautiful children, Colby, who's seven, and Tylee, who is one. Yeah. What do you guys like to do for fun? Uh, we like to play all kinds of sports on our three acres. Okay. Sounds like you have a nice life there. We do. Congratulations. Thank nice you. to have you with us. All right. We need a letter. Uh, there are two P's. You want to risk it? You can. There's either bankrupt or that $10,000 Kenneth Cole gift to it. You'll be risking $6,000. I have to. Now I'm here. You have to? I had no money anyway. Well, okay, then lift the darn thing up. Oh, my goodness. What is going on? What do we have? Oh, my God. <laughs> Correspondence on 60 Minutes 2. You got $7,500 and you got this gift certificate. I wasn't trying to talk you out of it. I just thought that that was a lot to risk for. But what do I know? Uh, the important thing is she has $17,500 just by not listening to me. What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. What do I know? She has the lead. Believe it or not, we'll be back. Okay, isn't that the most wild clip, wildest clip ever? I'm going to post the actual video of it on my Instagram carousel for this episode, but you can see like Lori is likable. She's charming. She's witty. She's very extroverted and social and like not shy. So I can see like how she got by in life and how she kind of made it like her personality to just be this like shining aura and she used it to get her way like she even charmed pat sajak oddly enough it's so wild to me and again it just reinforces everything that i've been saying like she said that god told her to go on wheel of fortune and she ended up winning seventeen thousand five hundred dollars on wheel of fortune so i'm sure it just reinforced her belief that God was speaking to her and God was telling her to do these things and like what a good idea it was. Look, I want all of this money and I want all of this money because God told me this is what I needed to do. And we can see that, you know, she's on the Wheel of Fortune and she's talking about how she has a perfect life and 
She has a wonderful supportive husband and all of the things, but behind the scenes, Lori and Joe's marriage is crumbling and she is not happy, but she is all about appearances and making herself look happier than she is. She is very all about images and how things look from the outside. So either in an effort to distract from the ongoing issues in her marriage or just because she is obsessed with herself, she entered a pageant in the area that she was living and she ended up winning. So because she won, she was able to secure a spot into the Mrs. Texas pageant, which was going to be the following year. And if she won that one, she would go on to the Miss America pageant. And that was like her dream ultimately to win that. So by the time she walked the stage, she was in great shape. She looked really good. And of course, you know, they do the different things where they do like a talent and they'll do like an interview. So during her interview portion, it is wild. I'm going to play it for you guys because the preluding of what was to come is just insanity. And this interview and the question and the way she answered it, I think really gives you a clue as to who Lori has always been deep, deep down, like pretty on the outside, but not pretty on the inside and just able to get away with it. I'm basically a ticking time bomb and then laughs like what is going on? Like I could see how that can be like a lighthearted thing. Like I am a great wife. I'm a great mom. I work. I do this. I do that. I'm everything. And, but basically I'm a ticking time bomb like and kind of joking about it. But I don't think she was joking. Obviously she wasn't joking. But what are we doing? Like really what is happening? So with that being said, Lori obviously did not win. So she didn't go on to the Miss America pageant. And during the pageant time, she was seen with Joe. They were happy. Of course, that was all an act because immediately after not winning the pageant, she filed for divorce from Joe Ryan. So that is where we're going to leave off. We're going to make this Lori Vallow backstory a two-parter because I still have a lot more to cover. and. It's just a lot. So we're leaving off right here. Lori files for divorce from Joe. And that's where we're going to pick up next week in the second part of this. And we're going to talk more about Lori's backstory, everything with Charles. And we're going to talk a little bit about her relationship with her brother, Alex, because that is a big, important factor in all of this and always was an important factor. It's not like her and Alex had this dynamic starting in 2018. That's not when this started. This started way back when. And we're going to talk more about that. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this little deep dive into the crazy that is Lori Vallow. And we're going to pick it up right here next week. You guys have a good one. Bye.